0: Welcome to the Midlife Mail podcast, a podcast designed to help men maximize middle age and live healthier, wealthier, stronger, and happier. I am Greg Scheinman, and I'm inviting you to join the thousands of men who listen each week, receive my Midlife Mail newsletter, and are committed to making this next phase of life our best phase. If you have not yet downloaded my No BS Guide to Maximizing Midlife, where I break down the three principles to maximizing middle age and taking back some of that shit you've given up, head on over to midlifemail.com forward slash no BS guide. Guys are loving these three principles to maximizing middle age, and you can download your copy today at midlifemail.com forward slash no BS guide. Hey guys, Greg Scheinman here, Midlife Mail Podcast. Thank you so much this week and every week for all of the support to keep the Midlife Mail movement growing. This week, I have Chip Conley joining me on the show. Chip is the iconic boutique hotelier who helped Airbnb's founders turn their fast-growing tech startup into a global hospitality brand. Chip is also a New York Times best-selling author whose manifesto on ageism, Wisdom at Work: The Making of a Modern Elder, is inspired by his experiences of being both a mentor and an intern into his 50s. After selling the company he started as a rebel entrepreneur at age 26, Joie de Vie Hospitality. I think I got that pronunciation right? he was not sure what to do next. He served as Airbnb's head of global hospitality and strategy for four years while also being CEO Brian Chesky's mentor. He continues today as the strategic advisor to the company's leadership. And while writing Wisdom at Work, he was inspired to build the world's first midlife wisdom school. It's called the Modern Elder Academy. It's a three-acre oceanfront campus in Baja, California, Sur, Mexico. He's an active mentor to six young CEO founders in the hospitality and tech world. He serves on the board of Encore Org and the advisory board of the Stanford Center for Longevity. He believes that curiosity is the elixir of life and started learning Spanish and surfing at age 58. Talk about the quintessential Midlife Mail coming at you on the Midlife Mail podcast today. I was first introduced to Chip. When I saw a post that Caddy's CEO, Tim Parr, put up on LinkedIn, and if you guys have been listening and seeing and following my stuff for a while, you know I'm a huge fan of Caddy's glasses. I wear them constantly. Well, I saw this post that Tim had put up that he was going to be taking part in a workshop in Baja. It linked over to Modern Elder Academy. I saw this. I dug in. I was completely blown away by what Chip and his partners were up to. I immediately signed up for this experience, which is coming up in July. Can't wait to fill you in on all of it. And I'm going to go. Because like Chip, I also believe in embracing curiosity. And that I identify with it being the elixir of life. I cannot say that I'm going to start learning Spanish, okay? But I have started surfing. Spent a lot more time in Costa Rica, happened to love Baja, Cabo, all of those areas as well. But this is just amazingly cool and important and impactful. And I can't wait to be down there and experience this. I can't wait to share this episode with you guys because what Chip is doing is leading the path for those of us who want to reframe middle age. And he's helping men and women of all ages and stages of life get where they want to go with purpose and intention and grace and gratitude. And he's touching a lot of issues with both the why and the how. So let's get to Chip Conley on the Midlife Male podcast. If I could have a quintessential Midlife male on the podcast... Thank here you. it is right now we should flip this around he should be hosting okay and and i should be pinging him you know with all kinds of things he can help me with so hopefully we'll mm-hmm. transition this from him to me to all of you guys out there chip welcome to the show
1: thank you greg it's great to be here
0: again as i said i'm extremely excited for this i got wind of modern elder academy and you um online through some mutual friends. I actually even think it was a post that Tim Parr from Caddies put up about going to one of your experiences and retreats and hosting it out and being a part of that out in Baja. Mm-hmm. I follow him. I'm wearing my Caddies right now. You guys at home can't see it. We talked about that. And I was like, wow, what is going on with this modern elder academy down there? I didn't know something like this existed. And then I looked into your backstory, and I was like. This is amazing right now. And, and it truly is. So I'd love to open up with also why, you know? yeah, Why did you start this, get involved in this? And what was kind of your calling and passion that there was a need for this?
1: Sure. So um, this is really, a, it's a two-part story. Uh, I started a boutique hotel company called Joie de Vivre uh, when I was 26 years old and grew it into the second largest Boutique hotel company in the United States. Uh, it was only in California. We had 52 boutique hotels. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was amazing. I loved it for about 22 years, from 26 to 48. <laughs> from 48 to 50 or from 47 to 49 or so. Oh my God, I didn't want to be doing it anymore. And it was the Great Recession. A lot was going on. And um, I actually lost five friends, all in midlife, all men, to suicide um, between 2008 and 2010. Um, and I had my own <laughs> dark night of the soul nights, uh, where I was just like, what, why am I here on this earth? So lots went on. Ultimately I had an NDE I had a near death experience. I actually did flatline nine times over 90 minutes based upon mm. an allergic reaction to an antibiotic. I had a broken ankle and a septic leg. Long story short is I sold my business at the bottom of the market. I hit bottom in that classic sort of, I I hate to call it the midlife crisis because I think it's a very overblown concept. And midlife has much more of a brand than just crisis. But I did hit a bottom. And, you know, the U curve of happiness uh, research shows that, yeah, 47.2 is sort of (laughs) the, your mileage may vary, but 47.2 is the average low point. And I was around 47.7 or eight. So, you know, yeah, it was not too far off. Sold the company, moved on, had some space in my life. Made a note to myself: Midlife is a tough time for us uh, as a society. And then two years later, was asked by the three founders of Airbnb to join them uh, with their little tech startup. It was, gosh, nine more than nine years ago, and uh, nobody had heard of Airbnb really. And long story short, is I said sure. And within a few weeks after I joined, they said, "Chip, you're our modern elder." And I said, "I don't want to be your modern elder." <laughs> I know I'm twice, I'm 52 and the average age year is 26. And I am mentoring Brian, the CEO, uh, but I also report to him and he's 21 years younger than me. And I was like, okay, I don't, I don't like play up my age and the fact I'm elderly. And they said, you're not elderly, Chip, you're an elder. It's a relative term. And we believe a modern elder is someone who's as curious as they are wise. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, okay, if a modern elder is as curious as they are wise, I will... Cop to that. I that's that sounds good to me. That that's sort of my that's how I live. Um, And so for the next seven and a half years, I was helping to steer the rocket ship of Airbnb as a company, Mm -hmm. and um, as the modern elder in the company, for sure. I was way way, a lot older than just about anybody there, and um, that led me to wanting to write my fifth book, "Wisdom at Work: The Making of a Modern Elder." While I was writing that book in Baja, where I had a home off the beach, um, I had a Baja aha when I went for a run one morning on the beach. And I was like, why do we not have midlife wisdom schools? Why don't we have a place where people can go and to reimagine and repurpose themselves in midlife? Um, I wish my five friends who had taken their lives during the Great Recession had actually known something like this existed. And I could have used it myself as well. So long story short uh, is... January 2018, we opened with the Modern Elder Academy in Baja, and now we're all over. We have uh, two locations in Santa Fe, New Mexico, that will be opening soon. Um, a regenerative residential community in Baja, and then also in New Mexico, MEA Online. We have a lot of a lot going on. Mm.
0: Fascinating. When you conceptualized Modern Elder Academy, and you kind of adopted this. I think, modern elder persona. I mean it's it's you. i um, so you're living yeah. it mm, yes, in yes. there. But you were dubbed this. You embraced it. You lived it. And I think there's something really so cool about kind of being also the the mentor. Mm, and also, you know, being able to work in a forward-thinking, younger, progressive, you know, type organization, how those things work, especially in middle age and that dynamic yeah. and finding you know value in your identity and your place there i think there's really some some stuff great stuff to unpack you know there too but when you decided to to go all in on modern elder academy
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Did you run this by, I mean, who did you run this by? Like, who told you, like, like, why are you doing this? Why are you putting money into this? Like, are you crazy? Like, yeah. can't you just fix yourself, you know, and not worry about the whole world? You know, all of these other things. Have you thought this through, Chip?
1: <laughs> Have I thought that? Yeah, you sound like my mother. Um, <laughs> um, So, yeah, I mean, we, from January till June of 2018, we did 13- beta workshops so we tested it out um with the intention of having about 160 people come down to baja to experience it for free in in 13 different cohorts and what was really clear and, and i had two two co-founders uh, christine sperber who is a long-time friend um and then jeff hamui who was actually in, a, in the first workshop with me and he was he was a student but he actually like oh dude you you're a great facilitator Um, And he had taken his wife and his two young kids down to Baja to surf. He was taking basically a six-month gap, sort of a gap year or gap gap half year. Um, And I guess, you know, the number one thing that really stood out from the beta period was how much people loved it and how much people said that they needed to reframe their relationship with aging. Um, there's a book that, uh, you know, we're taping this earlier than when it's going to go live. But uh, today, uh, doc- Dr. Becca Levy's book comes out. Um, she is a Yale professor who has shown her book's called Breaking the Age Code. And, uh, and And the subtitle is How Your Beliefs About Aging Determine How Long and Well You Live. So she has shown in her research that when people can shift from a negative to a positive perspective on aging, they gain seven and a half years of additional life. And that additional life is positive life. It's, it's like feeling good about being 50 or 60 or 70 years old. Um, and in fact, the U-Curve of Happiness research shows that basically people have a long, slow decline of happiness and life satisfaction from about 22 to about 47. And then every decade after that, they're happier. So all of this was like information out there, but not the, the societal narrative is like, okay, if you can get through your midlife on the other side, is, on the other side of that, you have disease, decrepitude, and death. Mm-hmm. So I, I really wanted to to, make, to change that narrative. Um, and the number one thing our beta students asked for was an alumni program. I was like, okay, clearly you liked your experience because you want to have an alumni program. And that's that's when we said, okay, let's open this up to the public. Which is later in 2018.
0: I love the uh, the idea of reframing the relationship with with aging, um, and that you touched on the posit- the attributes of being positive and viewing it that way. I've always had this, where I guess, well, now that I'm 49, so I've had this Ooh. this thing about anti aging. I, I never have appreciated the term. I'm not anti aging. You know, I'm 49. My wife's 52. Mm-hmm. I'm not anti aging. I'm actually pro aging the right way. Mm-hmm. I think it's again the lens that you see it. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with aging at all. I'm not against I'm not against it, but I would like to do everything I possibly can can do, you mm-hmm. know, to maximize and optimize the aging process in a way, get older gracefully, be positive about it, mm-hmm. see that the next phase of life mm-hmm. is the best. You know, I see the next phase is the best phase. Mm-hmm. I I empathize and and Condolences on on the friends that you lost. Mm -hmm. Similarly, I mean I lost my father at 47. Mm -hmm. To cancer, not to suicide. Mm -hmm. But I always saw 47 as being old. Mm -hmm. And I saw actually 45 to 47, the years that he was sick and lost quality of life, you know, as old. Mm -hmm. Again, as you said, you've got disease, you've got deterioration, you've got then ultimately you have death. I always viewed if I made it to 47 or beyond, I'm in the bonus time.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like it's off to the races, you know, like, Hey, you, you, you made it, you, you raised your kids, you made it farther than your dad. How can you again have the best time and live the best way you possibly can in that next phase?
1: Yeah. Well, let's do some math for a second since we're getting into ages here. So the average age of the people who come to the modern energy Academy is 54. We Mm -hmm. have over 2000 alumni. But they've been as young as in their 20s and as old as 88. So it's sort of surprising that 14% of the people who come to MEA are millennials. But part of the reason they come is because they want to cultivate and harvest their wisdom. And we're a midlife wisdom school. And they're you know, interested in how to repurpose themselves sometimes. If you're a 35-year-old software engineer in Silicon Valley, you are over the hill based upon yeah. what – what the industry tells you. If, sure. you're, if you're a professional football player, um, as we've had in a program, you're over the hill at 30, unless you're Tom Brady. So long story short is, there's a lot of messages out there. And the question is, how do we disconnect our own sense of satisfaction and well-being from what society tells us about age? Uh, uh, you know, you and I are lucky because generally speaking, the anti ageist products that are out there are often suited for women. They're about, you know, face creams and they're about anything that's going to make you look younger. Uh, and there's a whole, you know, multi-billion dollar industry around anti-ageism. Some of it veers in the direction of, or, and anti ageist uh, products. Some of it is ageist and some of it is just practical. <laughs> so I think the key is to like sort through all of this. But I guess for me, some of this comes down to the fact that age, you know, when we look at the redwood, a redwood forest and we see the tallest trees and we sort of marvel at them, we don't, when we think of trees like redwoods, we don't think of age and growth as being somehow opposed to each other. Why can't we grow in our sixties, seventies, eighties or nineties? Why can't we constantly be a work in progress? And there's so many of ev- so much evidence of this out there, uh, you know. I love the, you know, the the marathon runner at 91 or the yoga teacher who can put her head, uh, her leg behind her head at 85. But what I'm particularly interested in is the people who don't have those physical prowess to be able to do the things that they could do when they were 30, but the ones that have the emotional or spiritual or cultural prowess, such mm-hmm. that they realize that actually they get better at emotional intelligence as they age. And guess what? There's value to society for that. So long story short is there's a lot of things we get better at as we get older. Um, they're not very well documented. We at MEA have done a great job of taking all of this information from great academics and bringing it into one place where we where we have a curriculum based upon uh, helping people to reframe their relationship with aging, shifting from a fixed to a growth mindset, understanding how to navigate midlife transitions and looking at the, the subject of regeneration, because, you know, the, the word that has defined people after age 50 for the last almost a hundred years has been retirement. And it's time to wipe that word off, off you know, off the, out of the lexicon. Um, doesn't mean you can't retire, but living in a retirement community is an awful existence for many people. And it, not for necessarily our parents. My parents live in one, but I couldn't live in one. I don't want to live in one. I would love to live in a regenerative community, not a retirement community. And I can explain what that means in a moment. But like, that's a, a major shift. And I think the idea that we somehow we put our people out to pasture, we, we have them live in an age apartheid world where it's just people similarly aged, is nuts. <laughs> and uh, so
0: yeah i I completely agree, and I do want you to circle back to the rejuvenative society mm. in there regenerative in there mm. um midlife crisis to calling mm. is one of the mantras that that I've seen you put out there and midlife has been synonymous with christ with crisis
1: mm. what's the calling mm. well, so the term midlife crisis is, came from 1965 from a canadian psychologist and it's sort of been the the word that is that midlife as a brand is stuck with um, the idea of a crisis there is some truth that when people hit somewhere between age 40 and 50 and, and maybe early 50s they often are going through a lot and there's a lot of reasons why they can hit a low point and that's why this u-curve of happiness. Research is pretty conclusive of saying 45 to 50 is the least happy time in an adult's life, but it's not necessarily crises that are unnatural. There are things that, you know, you have often around that time in your life, you have the mashup of too many things on your plate. You have kids, you have parents who are aging, you have disappointment equals expectations minus reality. You had expectations Mm -hmm. about your career, your spouse, um, how healthy you would be, and you hit mid-40s and you're like, oh, man, some of those are just not – my expectations were too high. And the difference between expectations and reality is disappointment. So a lot's going on. but um, So I don't want to diminish the idea that this is an era of life when people have a lot going on. But Carl Jung, uh, the famous psychologist, and Richard Rohr, the famous Christian mystic, have both said that basically what's happening – is the, the first half of our adult life um, is defined by uh, your ego. And that's the operating system that defines how you operate. And it's around midlife when you start to discover something deeper in, in you. And we might call it your soul. And your operating system for the second half of your adult life is your soul. And it doesn't mean you are like don't have an ego anymore. You still do, of course. <clears throat> but it's at a time often when you're going through circumstances that are forcing you to have that dark night of the soul such that you're like oh, okay i have some deeper resources and some other curiosities in me beyond you know how much more money can i make next year and um and so that's why you know it's really interesting to know that <clears throat> i think that the calling comes from this element of listening in a new way for some messages and I, whether these messages are religious or spiritual or they just are something inside of you it's a time of life where reflection is very helpful. Um, now, Mary Catherine Bateson's a famous uh, cultural anthropologist, and she said that we've gotten it all wrong when it comes to longevity. and And let's, let me also say one thing I forgot to say earlier: average age of people coming to MEA is fifty four. Average age of when they think they're going to live till is ninety. If you mm-hmm. are fifty four to ninety is thirty six years. Ninety minus fifty four is thirty six years. Fifty four minus eighteen, when you became an adult, is thirty six years. So at age 54, if you think you're living till 90, you are exactly halfway through your adult life. No one teaches us that math. Wow. But mm-hmm. that math's very important because it's the kind of math that allows you to say, in my 50s or 40s, or 60s, or 70s, it's time for me to try something new. If you think you're like not if you think you're like 80% of the way through your life at age 54, you're wrong, probably. And you won't try something new. So long story short is the calling comes from this idea that uh, Mary Catherine Bateson says that it's not that we, with the additional life we have, we have like additional bedrooms on the back of our house as if we're just going to be old longer. I'm using the metaphor of you have a home. Ah, you've expanded your home. You just get, you get more extra years of being old. What she says is no, you just have more extra years of being in midlife. And, so instead of thinking of it being two extra bedrooms on the back of your house, that extra 10 years you're going to have compared to your parents, although in your case, you'll have a lot more. that You've already had two years longer than your father. You're going to have a lot more than that probably. The bottom line is it's a, what we really need is a midlife atrium. And so it's like you, you expand the house in the middle of the house, in the middle of your life, so you have time to reflect. You have air and light and space to ask – bigger and deeper questions, because if you're going to live another half of your adult life, it's not a bad thing around age 50 to be asking these questions. Mm-hmm. And, and so the calling often comes from the reflection time and the fact that something came to you. And we with at MEA in Baja, we say we're you know, a midwife for epiphanies um, because often it's in that reflection time, the midlife atrium of being in a week's workshop on a beach, where you sort of say, "Damn, I never had thought of it that way," and there's a new idea of what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: And I think the metaphor of of an atrium and the space that is created through experiences like Baja uh, enables us to think differently. Because a lot of it is, you know, what I hear from so many of the guys out there. Um, they don't have the time they're not they don't have the time they don't have the space you know they're just going you know it's the the hustle and grind mentality that's there they're getting past this time which is ideally you know the way they're seeing it kind of the beginning of the end they're not looking to the next 36 years if you will with open mm-hmm. space and with opportunity and sitting in their atrium they're going i'm racing to this yeah. end point in a way or through this and at that point well that's just the beginning of the end. You know, then I just phase out, you know, yeah. as opposed to again optimism, you know, mm-hmm. enjoyment, fulfillment, calling, opportunity to do different things over the next 10, 20, 30 years, you know yeah. as you put it, and I think we really do have the ability to live longer and healthier and happier and wealthier however you define wealth, you know, uh, and extend that quality of life if you allow yourself to do it.
1: Yeah. I, I I agree. And it's so much of it comes down to the, the mindset and the, and the, the reframing of your relationship with aging. And that is helped when you're around a collection of people in our case, about 20 people in a workshop where you're all in the process of making that shift together. Uh, because, you know, for the guy who is running on the treadmill metaphorically, Hes not frankly he's not running on the, the real treadmill much anymore he doesn't have time, and so he's he's gaining weight and he's like you know drinking too much and overwhelmed by too much and there and it's therefore he's not got the space to say, "Is this working for me and sometimes what happens is you have to have like I did at forty seven almost forty eight years old having a flatline experience that happened out of the blue where I was just like, "What the hell you know and I was reading Man's Search for Meaning, you know, the famous book mm-hmm. by Viktor Frankl about being in a concentration camp. And I was, I was reading that book in the hospital after my flatline. I was recognizing that I was in my own metaphorical concentration camp. I hate to in any way diminish what a concentration camp is. You know, I, by no means was I having that experience. But I, ha- I was in my own prison. And, um, you know, when you can actually, as a midlife male, see the freedom on the other side of the prison that you have self constructed, uh, wow. <laughs> it's no wonder you actually are happier in your 50s or your 60s when you can say, I've got my get out of jail free card. But the get, the get out of jail free card is not all that readily accessible, especially to men. And why is that? It's partly because men are not as adept as women in creating social support. Social wellness is what I like to call it. You know, we're very fixated on our own personal wellness. You know, my sleep, my eating, my workout, but the social wellness of who's my emotional insurance? Who who are the people that I can talk to when I'm having a really rough week? Um, a lot of guys don't do that, and because of that, they do that classic, you know, uh, quiet desperation, that sense that somehow they're getting the game of life wrong and compared to everybody else, they're, you know, comparing their insides with everybody else's outsides and, and they're feeling diminished as a result of that. Um, and that's why the suicide rate, frankly, for men in midlife is so much higher than it is for women. Mm. Women have the outlet. They have other women typically to talk about these things with.
0: What to that effect, I was going to ask you the differences in what you see in midlife males versus midlife females, you know, and even the who's showing up, you know, to the to the events and to the experiences and to the retreats and the workshops. And has it been more of a challenge, you know, getting men, what's, what's the the ratio. And I've explored this in different areas and I've had different businesses where I thought they would be more appealing to men. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're more women and I've put out a message called, you know, entitled the midlife male. And I've been surprised pleasantly with how many women reach out, you know, not only that the message is applicable to them, but also that they want their men to be better yeah. You know, touching on a number of the things that you just said, because they're not getting, you know, they're not asking for help, they're not being yeah. vulnerable, they're not being open. There's an apprehension to all of this, men, you know, in there too. Um, so I'm curious about your experience and the development of the academy yourself, and what you're seeing differences between men and women.
1: Well, I, I write a daily blog. It's called Wisdom Well, and sometimes I have guest bloggers on it. But every single day, it's out there in the world, and it's got a big audience. The, um, I wrote a blog post a few months ago on the differences between the midlife, male and female, especially when it comes to crisis. Um, for, for, I do think it, it, we handle it differently, male men and f- women. For women, it's often their bodies. It has more to do physically and the, and the the physical aging process. Now, not to say that men don't, don't have that as well. It's, but it's probably not number one on their list, but for women, it typically is number one on their list. It's the sense that they're becoming invisible. The sense that uh, especially if they're single, the odds are much less good for them at age 50 for dating, because generally speaking, men date younger women. Um, and and frankly, you know, for a lot of totally vital women, it's like, oh, I don't want to date someone 60 years old. And I, you know, it's like most of the guys I know who are 60 just are not engaged. And the ones that are are always married or they're always coupled. So long story short is I, you know, I see a lot of that. For men, what's going on for men? And the number one thing for men is it's, it's a couple things. Men are feeling ageism in the workplace more than women are. Women have had to deal with, <laughs> you know, dangerous issues, um, sexism, maybe in the workplace and power dynamics for a lot of men, like, especially if they're a straight white man, they grow, go into their fifties and like for the very first time in their life, they're seeing an ism <laughs> and they're coming face to face with people sort of saying, okay, boomer. Although if you're in your fifties, you're not a boomer. Um, but an element of like, I'm no longer relevant. And there's an element for for the men where Actually, whereas women in the workplace actually tend to gain their confidence in their 50s, have more confidence in their 50s than their 40s, men not. On average, men lose their confidence in their 50s compared to their 40s. And Mm so for men, a lot of what's going on and why it's really quite hard is whereas women define themselves often by their bodies, and that's changing, and they're hitting menopause, and a lot's going on there. For men, they're actually hitting – an era where they're feeling less, maybe less like they're making less money than they did 10 years ago. Or maybe they feel like they have less energy for their work. They feel bored with what they've been doing um, for all these years. And because men tend to define themselves by their business cards, damn, they get really sort of shocked. Um, we actually have a workshop uh, in June with a former Super Bowl hero, I get him, Aaron Taylor who played for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, he's not Aaron Rodgers, who's the quarterback of the Packers. He's Aaron Taylor, um, who was you know, first-round draft, draft pick from Notre Dame and uh, played. he's a Hall of Famer. Um, and he's on the MEA faculty. And he, the, um, the workshop he's teaching at, at MEA <clears throat> that week is, I think it's June 12th to the 19th, is um, You Are Not Your Title, um, Finding Joy in a Career Swerve. And I swear that that workshop will have probably two thirds men in it Mm -hmm. because it's a a, a subject and a guy who's teaching that are, you know, very relevant, but about 65% of the people who come to the modern elder Academy are women. So it is more women than men. And you know, it's, why is that? It's partly because actually the men who do come, I love them because they are, (laughs) they're so ready for what we're offering. And they go home and then tell their friends and, but it is a hard thing. Women go home and tell their friends, their female friends, like, Oh my God. For a man going home to tell their friends, it's a little bit like a, they're outing themselves. Like, mm-hmm. okay. I, because they didn't tell their friends in advance, they're going there. Then they have an amazing experience. And then they say, Oh, I did this thing. <laughs> and, and there's a little bit of a sense of like, Oh, aren't you strong enough? Aren't you courageous enough just to handle this yourself? Um, which is sort of how men are expected to be even in, in midlife. And so, yes, the uh, predominant number of people we have are women as compared to men.
0: The Midlife Mail podcast would not be possible without the support of some incredible brand partners. I only recommend brands I use, believe in, and trust, and each brand was handpicked by me for a specific reason. I believe in these guys, not just because they're great companies with great people behind them, but because the stuff works. I use these to stay at my peak, and I suggest you do too. So go over to midlifemail.com and click on special offers for exclusive Midlife Mail discounts and promotions and i've seen those those dynamics play out so so consistently in a way with with what I've seen too, and re- and reinforce that <clears throat> you're getting coaching, but you don't tell anybody. You, you know you're getting you know coaching. You go to this thing, but you don't come back and tell them. And your garden, in some ways, also there's a there's still that male competitive thing. Like oh, I have a competitive advantage now because I went <laughs> to Modern Elder, worked on myself, got all this done. So guess what? I'm not admitting that I got. <laughs> I'm not admitting that I went there. Not to, and I'm not sharing this so that all everybody else can get helped because I'm gonna go off. You know. Yeah. So Something to that, and I do again, I love the guys that are so proactive and take such ownership of not only going, taking part, getting real, naked, raw, you know, opening the Mm -hmm. kimono, standing in front of the mirror. Hey, and then they also come back and shout it from the rooftops. Because look, (laughs) I was in what that guy too for a very Mm -hmm. long time of Thought I had all the answers, thought I could figure it out myself, had the chip on my shoulder. I'm going to beat the day that my dad passed away, you know, all of these things. Right. And you go, wait a minute. I have nothing figured out whatsoever. (laughs) And when you talk, you know, family, fitness, food, finance, fashion, fun, all the things you throw in the bucket, my six F's also sounding Mm -hmm. very similar to so much of what you guys cover. You go, this is incredibly overwhelming. Yeah. It,
1: it is. And I think what's what I think the men really appreciate is that the women are not judging them. And I think that's a really interesting piece of this. So let's say you're in a workshop, you're, you're you know, Dave, you're coming to a workshop in, in a couple of months, three months, three months from now, I think. And uh, so let's say you're there and there's 20 people in the workshop and there's seven or eight guys and, you know, there's 12 or 13 women. So there's maybe two thirds women, one third men, something like that. Um, And the men take a little while to sort of settle into this place. They feel like, Ooh, I, you know, there's more women than men here. And I'm, you know, you want to posture yourself well in terms of like, okay, uh, I, I want to, so men sometimes take a little bit longer in the week uh, to get vulnerable or to really get clear on like what it is that's at the heart of maybe some of their dissatisfaction or some, Something they really want to transition in their life, or 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 frankly, a mindset that's just not serving them. But when they get it, and then when they show up with courage in the group, emotional courage. Oh man, do they get um, positive feedback from the women in the group as well as the other men? It's a really interesting experience because it's it's a foreign experience for for a lot of men. Not everybody. I um, mean, there's lots of guys who've gone to men's groups and they've done that. You know, you you have that experience. So. But for those who haven't, you know, it's an unusual experience to actually get positive feedback for the fact that you were emotionally vulnerable and aware. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I've spent my life trying to hide myself from that part of me. And they go home to their spouse, to their wife or their girlfriend, or in some cases, maybe even their boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And they go back and say, listen, you know I feel like I want to be a little bit more emotionally available and fluent. And you know what? Their partner's like, yes, <laughs> I've been telling you that. And you're like, and like, you have, I don't, I didn't realize that, but they actually often do, but there's an element to, you know, when, when your spouse is sort of telling you, you've got to do this, you got to do that in terms of your emotional life. You know, it's very easy to just retreat and say, you know, to hell with you! <laughs> like I want yeah. to go to my man cave, and I don't want you to be like my mom, wagging a finger at me. So I think you know to be able to be in a place where you're you're able to be with people you don't know, and you can sort of like, uh, as Brene Brown calls it, the midlife great midlife unraveling. You can unravel for a week, and you know the word ravel. I, I'm sort of like possessed by this right now. The word ravel means a bundle that's totally tangled. I, uh, you know, I'd never really sort of thought of a ravel, like a ravel, like you have a a ravel of string. That's all just sort of to unravel something. When I heard the word unravel, when Brené Brown, who's a friend of mine said, you know, midlife is all about unraveling. It's like, oh man, I don't want to unravel. That feels like I'm going to fall apart. She says to be raveled is like not a good thing. <laughs> it means you're tangled. And to unravel is the mm-hmm. ultimate opportunity to sort of experience freedom. It's like, Okay. That's exactly what we do. And so Brené got, Brené got it right. Um, And um, yeah, I think it's about that. And we also do something at MEA called the great midlife edit. And it's really based upon 24 hours into being there. You know, we do all all this work on helping people understand their mindsets and what's like, what's not working for them anymore, et cetera. And you just go to the fire at, at sunset and you put a piece of paper in the fire and tell the group, here's what I'm letting go of. I'm editing this from my life. This isn't working for me anymore. Um, and so, and then you turn around after throwing it in the fire and you say, and this here's what I'm going to replace it with Mm. that kind of social ritual, uh, is so powerful in in not just building a deep connection with your cohort for the week, but in actually feeling like uh, my life now can be defined a little bit by before I did that ritual and after, and it's been a huge, huge benefit to our people who've come.
0: I love the symbolism of that um, and the exercise. Mm. Aggregate, curate, eliminate, mm. you know, that something that I've tried very hard to kind of frame and reposition for myself. You know, mm. what fills my tank? What empties my tank? These things mm. come up, you know, what do I need in my life more of? What do I need less of, mm. you know, that's that in there? How careful and conscious and, mm. and, and, with intent, am I about the decisions and choices that I make, you know, and other guys that are coming in again. So we're not just constantly overloaded, you know, with, with everything. I want to ask you about, about your process a little bit too. We, we went through some of your trajectory and your history Mm -hmm. and you went from hospitality, you know, um, building a big company in hospitality, the service industry, of course, which has so many interesting, you know, interactions and, and yes. dynamics in there of being of service. The transition into mm-hmm. Airbnb, the tech space, the kind of introduction of the modern, the modern elder, mm-hmm. and your book, which I want to talk about, Wis- wisdom at work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little bit about your process of, I've got something to say, you know. Yeah. I have and and finding your voice, you know, and you write a blog as you mentioned every day. You have these best selling books. You've done an incredible TED Talk, which I think has been viewed over three million times or so yeah, right you got, now. You got a couple um, of them.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And and on a topic you know that also has been covered, you know, or at least talked about mm, in there. So I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of your personal you know, mission and calling of where you found your voice, when you decided (laughs) to do it, sit down, write, talk, and just own it. You know (laughs) what I mean, Jeff?
1: Well, you know, it's funny, you know, I uh, ran a boutique hotel company for 24 years and sold it. And then I joined Airbnb and helped them, you know, grow their grow the company and, you know, did that for seven and a half years, four years full-time, three and a half years as a strategic advisor. Both of the companies, Joie my company, and Airbnb, were very mission-driven, very mission-driven, but they were for-profit companies. And so when I was starting Modern Elder Academy, the thing that was rolling around in my head was a, 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 a very short sentence by a guy named Eric Erickson, developmental psycholo- psychologist, who said, I am what survives me. And I think I wanted to write a book and then also create the Modern Elder Academy Because there was an element for me, I was like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to live till ninety or later." My parents are both eighty-four. They didn't take very good care of themselves, but they're still in great shape, and they're eighty-four years old. So, you know, I think my chances I make it to ninety are pretty good. Um, But you know, I'd written four books before, and yeah, that's something that will survive me. And I started a bunch of hotels that survives me, and I have a great story to talk about my Airbnb mentoring the founders that that survives me. But There was an element for me that was deeper than that. Something that was not a for-profit entrepreneur thing, but more of a social entrepreneur thing. The thing that felt like the legacy was helping to shine the light on how to help people to reframe their relationship with aging and midlife. And it's that simple. And um, it's been just as it's true when you're actually living your purpose and maybe living your calling, you have a very high pain threshold You're willing to try and do things that, I mean, other people look at you and say, God, you know, you're working so hard. And that's why sometimes you have to look, the the difference between workaholism and, and a calling is workaholism is usually outer driven. You're motivated to do something for an outer purpose. And a calling is often just an inner purpose. It's something that's coming from within. So the motivation is not to impress people necessarily or to make a lot of money or to do whatever else it is that would be an outer purpose, but it's an inner purpose. It's something that you just feel pregnant. So it's hard to say this as a man, but like I have been pregnant each of the times I wrote a book, five books. I write the book. It usually takes about nine months. (laughs) Um, And my process for finding my voice to do that is to open up the channels inside of me to say, listen, my writer wakes up before my editor. So I get up really early in the morning and I write and I don't critique myself. And I am just trying to channel something. I'm being a conduit. You know, I spent my life being a can-do-it dude and I can do it. I can do it. And now I'm a conduit. And my conduct means I'm like I'm channeling something deeper and bigger than me. So, long story short, that's that's why the book came about, and my voice around M.E.A. came from the place of like, hey, I'm a hospitality leader, so I know how to create a retreat center. I was on the board of the Esalen Institute in Big Sur for ten years, and I taught workshops there. Um, I know how to run a business, um, and I have a I have content and curriculum based upon my book and my experience that is unlike anything else that's out there. So, the combination of that, the hospitality and the wellness, the education all together, and, and me having some experience in it said, Yep, I'm going to try this. Has it always felt like it was the right decision? No. There's been days where I've sort of felt like, What the hell am I doing? You know? But overall, the know with 2000 alumni and and the deep deep sense of how much of an impact i've had on people's lives but also how much of an impact they've had on my life uh it goes it's reciprocal so i you know i don't have any regrets but i you know i'm betting big you know i was lucky enough at airbnb to make just a fortune um based upon my stocks uh, my stock that i had with the company and that all has allowed me to go ahead and say, okay, well, let's have campuses all you know in all kinds of places without any investors. So it's been very nice.
0: I was going to ask about the relationship, you know, with with money, not to be in there. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you know, the ability to afford to live your purpose and live your calling and be able to do that. Um, is there more to it, you know, than that, you know, or you know? I mean, in terms of being relatable you know being aspirational you can afford to do whatever it is that you want you do this because you want to if i'm reading this correct not certainly not because you know you have to although there's an inner pull as you said you know you you kind of have to because you're feeling it and you want to put it out there but you know i mean the the relationship the, with money
1: even play a role in any of this well, there's two there's two answers to this let me start with the one answer that's unrelated to money One of the questions we ask at MEA that I think is really a great fundamental question, especially as as we get older, is um, what will I regret 10 years from now if I didn't do it or learn it now? And that's probably the reason I learned to start speaking Spanish four years ago because I was living in Mexico and I learned French when I was growing up. So it's part of the reason I learned how to surf. Not very good at it. But at age 57, four years ago, I was more apt to to try to learn because I have a surf break five minutes from my home and from the MEA campus. So it's like, okay, what is it that I will regret if I don't learn or do it now? Mm. When MEA came to me as an idea, as this Baja Aha on that run on the beach, um, when I was writing the book Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, I couldn't neglect it. Listen, when you are... When something comes through you and is a calling, if you're going to neglect it, the phone's just going to keep ringing. So you will have to distract yourself with alcohol or drugs or other pleasures or other things in order to not hear the damn call because the calling's there. So that is sets the stage for, okay, I think I'm supposed to be doing this. I don't want to regret that I had this idea and that I didn't do it. Um, I, and I also, you know, I remember my five friends. Who, who took their own lives. One of whom's name was Chip, you know, very close friend of mine. And his name was Chip. Like going to the funeral of your friend, Chip, when you're having some dark thoughts, your thoughts yourself is like, wow, that was crazy. And incredibly illuminating for my own life. In terms of spending the money. yeah, It's a hard one to answer because I was, I've been blessed that I joined Airbnb when I did. and, when I sold my hotel company, I sold it at the bottom of the Great Recession. Yeah, I made some money, but I didn't make, you know, I didn't make the kind of money that I now have because of Airbnb. And I would just say, you know what? Airbnb was. It was like an e-ticket at Disneyland. It just said, okay, this gave me the opportunity to learn what it meant to be a modern elder, to create intergenerational collaboration, to understand what wisdom is. And therefore, I want to actually take that. And I actually want to take that those raw materials and apply it. And I have the money to go out and do this without having me go out and have to find a bunch of investors, which I used to have to do all the time in the hotel business. I can just go out and do this with my co-founders and my you know, and we have four of us who are partners, three of us who are co-founders, and like it's so liberating to know we can go do this without having to have all the pain and suffering of you know investors who are like trying to say okay what's the what's the return on investment so I guess you know it's allowed me to have the the, the feeling that there's a legacy you know that I'm trying to offer here
0: I think it's yep I, I think it's it's tremendous I also think there's a wide range mm-hmm. between I and mean, quit your job follow your passion which could be very irresponsible for, mm-hmm. for people in midlife. You and also embracing curiosity, trying different things mm-hmm. along the way, making, you know, having certain things go right. And all of a sudden the F finance is not an issue necessarily right. anymore. Right. And then even where even where I sit, and I mean you've been very transparent on this, look, I started a couple of companies. I had one exit that was, you know, that was nice, but not life changing. I had two young kids. I'm in my 30s. Okay, I gotta <laughs> work. This is nice, but now I gotta start again. You know, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, Somewhere you're moving to Airbnb. You know, I went into a professional service, you know, business. Um, spent 15 years there. We mm. ended up exiting at the end of 2020. Again, not totally life changing money. My partners, yes, me. No, this went public, but enough to say, "Hey, you can do what you want to do now." You know, and and I'm as you're talking, and I stare up and I see, you know, on my board in front of me, "Eliminate regret." We mm-hmm. talk about, you know, regret, and I love asking that question. If I don't do this now, you know, I was the only partner to leave my firm when we were acquired. Mm. They saw it as the beginning of the beginning the beginning of the next phase you know you hand some guys you know a boatload of money and they go great i'm taking the boat to get a bigger boatload of money you know right like, right, right. There's other guys you may hand a couple of bo- a couple of bucks too and they go good night seattle thank you very much and they walk off stage to go live the way they they want without regret mm-hmm. so i love that question so yeah. much and i think it's applicable at <clears with> so many <throat> different stages and how even you just view money, you know, as a tool. You know what's necessary. What can you do? How can you reduce and eliminate regret if you can't quit your job? You know, or certain things, like like that. So I appreciate you you touching on it there. To that effect, you had two mission driven companies. You know, Let me mm-hmm. say. Do you speak to companies? Does your message play to companies? You know, do companies get it? Even <laughs> your own? You know, when you were there with everything yeah.
1: you're talking about now. Mm? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that in my Joie de Vivre era, I wrote some books that were pretty notable and, you know, bestsellers. So, and I amplified conscious capitalism uh, and what I like to call karmic capitalism, what goes around comes around. And there's an element of people wanting to hear that story. But when I moved to Airbnb and um, all of a sudden I'm in this sort of sage role as, as the modern elder, And and that company moved to where it is today, which is it is worth more than Hilton, Marriott, Four Seasons, Hyatt, and Intercontinental combined. (laughs) Crazy. Um, When you have a company that's worth over a hundred billion dollars and you were there sort of at the start with three young guys who started it between ages 24 and 26, there's an element of like, yeah, people want to hear what Chip has to say now because he did it himself. And then he, He took the miracle Grow stuff that he learned in his own company and he spread that little fertilizer over this this little tech startup. And so, yes. Now, does that mean everybody wants to hear it? No. Because my message is a message that really speaks to the long term in a business. Um, If you are trying to build a business in order to sell it at the top of the market and you're going to be a public company that's just going to do everything they can to just maximize net income, at the risk of long-term value for employees and customers because, frankly, over time, the brand gets tarnished, that is not my strategy. But there's but there's a lot of people out there for whom that's how they make their money. And um, so my, my strategy and my approach to business is not necessarily uh, the common approach. But it's more common than it was 20 years ago or when I first wrote my first book 25 years ago. Called the Rebel Rules. Um, yeah, my approach was very unusual, and it's a lot more normal today. Mm. Do you think there's space? You
0: talked earlier about that definition of success, in particular for men, kind of the the job, mm-hmm. the title, and the salary. You know, mm-hmm. um, and businesses in a way that manage to that metric. You know, and men's that measure. You know, to that mm-hmm. metric. But a lot of what you talk about and you're working on, and you put out there with Modern Elder Academy, is a much more holistic approach, much more well-rounded yeah. I think, approach and kind of, as you said, redefining, reframing middle age, but also redefining kind of success and all the elements sure. that are there. So it's not as one dimensional.
1: Yeah. And- we, have a, we have an upcoming online course on purpose, designing your purposeful path to work. And it's based upon the idea of the fact that we were often handed a success script by our family and then, for the first half of our adult life, we lived that success script. And then it's, sometimes it's in midlife when people just say, "I don't want to. I don't want to keep reading these lines. This, these are not my lines. I want to be the screenwriter of my own life." And um, so that's yes, that's very very relevant. And also the other thing that's very true is this: is that our life can be very compartmentalized up until about midlife, and it's like you know. You have these friends, you have those friends, and you talk and you talk about politics with that collection of friends, but not those people. You do this kind of stuff in the office, but you do that kind of stuff with your your, your guys you go to Burning Man with, and and for a lot of people like I, they're worn out by midlife. Come on, I want a holistic life. I want a life in which uh, you know I can be the same everywhere, and so this is why I like to say we're not just growing old, we're growing whole. And there's a lot of data on this social science research that say, says that why people get happier as they get older is because they're integrating all of the parts of themselves into a single whole and they feel integrated and full of integrity as a result of that. So the, and, and frankly, our brain works this way too. Um, Arthur Brooks, new book on from strength to strength mm-hmm. is all about this fluid intelligence versus, you know, crystallized intelligence. Food intelligence when you're young is about you know focus, focus, focus and problem solving and very compartmentalized. As you get older, you get better at crystallized intelligence into your 60s. And when you're crystallized intelligence, you think holistically. Systemically, you connect the dots. Your brain does four-wheel drive on your brain, left brain and right brain much more adeptly. Whereas when you're younger, you're in the left brain mode or you're in the right brain mode. You don't mix those things. So long story short is we get better at Growing whole. And that is part of the beauty of why I think people in midlife and later start to become happier. And mm, so spot
0: on. And the, mm, chasing authenticity where it does not exist is exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes, and I think you're right. You get to this place, and you know. You know, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be different in all of these areas. It's yeah. I, with clients. I don't have to act. I want to act this way with this client, in this way with another, and I can't be up at six a.m. and also out for drinks at nine p.m. You know, at the same time. I mean, it's it is. It's 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 draining when you can step back and create some space and look at these situations again differently and how again are you going to reframe? How are you going to live your life in a way that makes sense,
1: I yes. guess, mm-hmm. for you there? Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: So what does your day look like now? Okay.
1: <laughs> I get up early. I do wake up around four thirty or five. And um, if I'm writing a book, that's when I'm going to write. If <clears throat> sometimes I write blog posts at that time, but I usually do some meditation. Um, I, I I'm a, I'm a, an avid meditator and have been for 40 years. Yoga has taken a long time for me to get used to. <laughs> um, yoga didn't come to me as naturally as meditation did, but, um, I do meditation every morning and, um, and then I write and then I just catch up on things. I try to like this morning. I went out for a nice long walk. I'm in Santa Fe because we're creating a couple of cannafe, campuses here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And so I just went out for a nice long walk. Um, when I'm in Baja, which is where I live most of the time, I will swim in the morning. I will do some yoga in the morning with our yoga teachers on campus. Um, so I try to do things in the morning that don't require that are allow me to either get into my body, into my spirit in that meditation way, or into my creative conduit, you know, in the writing way. <clears throat> and then the day is full of meetings, just like way too many. Um, <laughs> And then later in the day, I go to bed early. I go to you know, I tend to you know, like to, I like to read before in bed. I try to go to bed eight thirty or nine. You know, if you're waking up at four thirty or five, it makes sense. Um, and yeah, I, I actually have learned how to sleep well. I mean, I I was never a good sleeper in my life, and it's only the last two or three years that I have actually gotten sleep. I'm doing sleep better than I used to, which is sort of surprising because generally speaking, as we get older, sleep our sleep. Habits and patterns aren't as good, so that's important. And um, and it's you know up the next day. But I you know a lot of it. There's a lot of exercise in the day if I can, um, and then I give a lot of speeches. I gave a big speech here in New Mexico yesterday. I gave a big speech in Miami in last week plus two workshops there. Um, I'm giving a big speech next week in San Francisco and then the following week in San Diego. So. Um, I tend to I tend to be asked to give a lot of speeches. Okay, who asks you to speak? Hmm? <laughs> um, yeah, who in
0: that, that in a, in a why
1: kind of way? Who are you these know, I idiots?
0: Just, yeah. I ask it, you know, in like just genuinely curious yeah. about the invitations that you're getting to speak and kind of the impetus behind. Again, you're obviously your message and your experience is so yeah. important, There's so much value. I mean, I'm just curious about who is. Who's interested Old thinking and progressive enough to be like, yeah, Hey, let's get you here to talk
1: about so this. So last week it was YPO young Presidents organization within mm-hmm. that a global conference, um, in Miami. And, um, uh, yesterday it was, uh, the New Mexico, uh, association of HR professionals, which is called SHRM. And it was a, a big statewide convention. And I was the opening keynote because they want to hear about age mm-hmm. diversity in the workplace and things like that. Um, I'm often asked to come into companies, uh, large companies, Facebook, um, Google, et cetera, to give a talk to them, LinkedIn multiple times, about how to rethink teams in an intergenerational kind of way. Um, Sometimes people ask me to talk about my book, Peak, How Great Companies Get Their Mojo from Maslow, applying the psychology theory of the hierarchy of needs to organizations, and so it's it's a you know when you've written as much as I have, you know, with books and you've given TED talks, a couple of a big ones, and then a few TEDx talks. You get, I, I, it comes from all directions. Um, obviously, during COVID, you know, most of it was um, was online speeches, but it's starting to come back out to being in person. Mm.
0: Modern Elder Academy retreats experiences everything there. Do you also offer one on one? Do you have people that go listen? I'm not. I, I, I'm I'm afraid of this group thing and being yeah. out there again. Men, women, me, my first yeah. time. I'm interested, but I need this. You know, mm-hmm. is is this something that you could do on a one to one basis?
1: You know, <clears throat> what I say to people is, and I, and I get asked a lot and I, you know, I mentor about six CEO, young CEOs right now. <clears throat> but what I say is the following. I have over 2000 alumni. You become an alumni. I'll do some one-on-one time with you. You don't have to do a workshop to become an alumni. You could do the online, one of our online courses, eight week course. You don't have to get quite as vulnerable in that environment. Do that. And then you're, then write me and you know, my email is chip at chipconley.com, you know, <laughs> write me and say, I'm now an alum and I'd love to have a little bit of time with you. And I welcome that. But it's hard for me to do that beyond that because I don't, I don't want to be in the coaching business and I don't want to, I want to be careful about the fact that I, first and foremost, I want to be supportive to our alums who are sometimes going through all kinds of new stuff. You know, someone may have left, you know, been in a workshop in a workshop three my, years ago and. And now all of a sudden, they've lost their wife to cancer. Their parents have passed away, and one of their one of their sons is um, actually um, becoming transgender. And he's like, "I've got too much going on here. I'm I need to talk." And of course, like, yeah, yeah let's talk. And I don't charge for any of that because to me, our alums are like family. Mm.
0: This is fantastic. I. Could not be looking forward to the experience more. Um, There's so much to think about here and the work that you are doing is so valuable on so many levels. Um, Chip Conley, thank you so much for being on the Midlife Mail podcast
1: today. Do you want want some of your friends, some of your listeners to come to that workshop with you? I was
0: about to get to how do we learn more? How do we come to these workshops? How do they get involved? Even honestly, this to me is like, for me, about aggregating and curating just the very best experiences and opportunities that are out there for men and women, okay, yes, yes. to go explore and to help navigate and get better. You know, that's what this is all
1: about. Yeah. So you're going to the workshop uh, in Baja, uh, July third through the tenth with Tim, with Tim Parr on um, "Own <laughs> Your Age: The Business of Midlife." You don't have to be focused on the business of midlife, but you, you know, you can focus on how do you own your age, which is another way of thinking of reframing aging and and 75% of the content of that week is our core curriculum uh, and only 25% is the topic of the week. So it's, if people want to hang out with you, Dave, that's a great one for people to sign up for. Um, But we have workshops throughout the year. We also have something called sabbatical sessions for those who want to come down and just have a vacation and have a lighter amount of programming and just enjoy themselves do the sabbatical sessions. That's another way to sort of get tap into our content without it being a full on workshop. Um, and then obviously our MEA online program with our next um, online program on purpose starting June 4th for eight weeks. So those are some of the ways that people can connect with us. Uh, my blog is all you have to do is just go on to Google and just say Wisdom Well Chip Conley. It'll show you wisdom well, and then just sign up. It's free. It's a free uh, daily subscription. Or if you don't want to do that and you want to just sort of look at it online, um, just go to my LinkedIn. I, you know, I I post my 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 uh, daily wisdom wells uh, at LinkedIn.
0: It's fantastic. Guys, you go out there, you Google Chip Conley, you are going to get the phone book, okay? He has <laughs> he has incredible content that is out there in all of these mediums. If you're interested in Modern Elder Academy, guys, I'm going to put out the show notes, the audiograms, the links to everything when you hear this, okay? You can visit Modern Elder Academy online. You can even join me down there in Baja. It looks like it's the 3rd to the 10th of uh, of July. Again, couldn't be more excited for that and all of the experiences that you offer and thank you so much for opening up and sharing all this um it connects deeply when we talk about maximizing middle age Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you are you are carrying the torch right there Uh, and so are you
1: it's it's a fellowship so uh a brotherhood so thank you for all
0: you're doing as well dave so i appreciate it very much guys If you like what you have heard on the podcast today, and I know that you have, please give us the five-star rating. Leave us a positive review. Go out and do the same for Chip and all of his work and his books and everything else. Get on there and order them. I'm going to put all these links up there. Again, Chip Conley, Midlife Mail Podcast. Thank you guys so much. We're out. If you're interested in coaching and taking this conversation deeper so that you can achieve your personal and professional goals, be sure to head over to midlifemail.com and check out the Work With Me page to explore options.